I got in the police department, decided that this might be the best job in the world. I get to, I'm able to protect myself, uh, my family, and victims from thugs. And I never looked back. You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. Welcome to the Secure America Now Code Red podcast. My name is Alan Roth, president of Secure America Now. We are doing a series of podcasts with retired as well as active duty police officers. And we have been in the forefront of defending our police, who are in many cases under some very severe attacks across this country. In this podcast, we are pleased to have with us Mike, a police officer uh, for 28 years in a city of 500,000 people. He has served in several capacities, which I would like um, him to inform us about. And I would like to begin our conversation with asking, um, in a sense, a big question. What motivated you to become a police officer? And how has the job over the years. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate the, your guys' work in uh, trying to assist us and get our stories out there. So, great start. Uh, first of all, yeah, I've been in uh, versions of law enforcement for over 30 years. Um, I started as a lifeguard, uh, worked on rescue boats where there's a little bit of enforcement on the beaches and on the waters, uh, but nothing like real policing. Uh, my plan <clears throat> was to continue on and go to a fire department. So I tested up and down my state and outside of my, <clears throat> my state about at least 20 agencies and never got hired. Uh, we met some officers uh, on the beach that did beach patrol in the summers. Uh, they handed me a card, said, come take our test. Once you get on our department, you can continue testing for fire. I got on the police department, decided that this might be the best job in the world. I get to, I'm able to protect myself, uh, my family, and victims from thugs. And I never looked back. Has the job and I'm referring specifically, I guess, to the chaos that occurred in 2020 last year, where there seemed to all of a sudden ignite an anti-police attitude among elected officials and some what I would describe as professional agitators in the streets. Have you found that the public at large has a less positive attitude towards the police, given what occurred in 2020? Uh, has the attitude changed? Do you feel that people are supportive or not supportive of the role that police play in our society? I have to say overall in the jurisdiction that I work, it's 
a mid-sized department. So we don't get to know everybody in our department and you could turn a corner and run into somebody new. But it's small enough that if you work different areas and different details that you get to know everybody. Um, and the city is has been behind us for the most part, uh, except for changing the changing of the laws. And I think even in some of our uh, more violent areas, um, the people that live there support us. It's uh, criminal apologists that are the ones getting all the airtime, being anti-police and trying to force these changes that hamstring us in doing our jobs. What type of laws were changed? You referred to changing of the laws. What type of policing laws that directly affect by the way the police do their job were changed in your jurisdiction? Well, I work out in California, and California, as you know, has been uh, liberal for a long time, and it is sliding further and further uh, toward the left end of turning back the clock to the Wild Wild West. Uh, they decriminalized uh, so much, and including things such as resisting arrest and assaults on police officers. Um, turn, turn, turn plenty of felony crimes into misdemeanor crimes. Uh, we have, uh, you've seen in the news, the new DA, uh, George Gascon, who is really uh, playing angry dentist and pulling out, trying to pull out all the teeth out of the LA County District Attorney Office. Uh, with zero bail and not filing cases and not standing up for victims at all. So has there been any pushback by elected officials? Um, are these state decisions or are they state and local decisions? Or, you know, can can localities ignore what the state is trying to do, or is this the law of the state? Well, in, in California, you have uh, what's called POST. That's the Peace Officer Standards and Training. And they are the ones that uh, set most of those standards and training according to what laws are passed uh, at the state level. And that's where you see a lot of changes uh, being made where uh, you're losing great tools such as we used to have a, a carotid restraint, which is basically if you watch uh, UFC fighting, that's a rear naked choke. And it's one of the safest ways for the officer and a suspect uh, to end an encounter, uh, even though it's, it's one of those things that on video looks bad. What role does news coverage play in the attitudes, I guess, of the public and of public officials to the police? I mean, is the news media as 
liberal as um, the demonstrators in the streets, uh, or do what you just described um, when the state moves, in a sense, to disarm police from doing their job or putting one of their arms behind their back by changes, um, does is there any voice in the media that actually uh, supports what what we would consider to be a rational law and order posture towards the police and their jobs? I would say that there's not uh, very many at the local level. In fact, it's been since uh, I think the, the war on police started back after Ferguson. And it's all based on these the false narratives of uh, unarmed suspects being shot. And these media outlets don't take the entirety of an incident. They take the last few seconds of an incident and paint all officers as being murderous thugs, which we absolutely are not. If we had uh, murderers and racists working for us, they would certainly not last very long because whatever one bad one does uh, reflects on the rest of us. And as we know, we all get painted with the same brush. Um, it's not criminals are innocent until proven guilty. It's we're guilty even though we can prove our innocence. So yeah, it's a, a definite double standard. And you see it at the national level with uh, mainstream media other than some of the uh, uh, the conservative outlets. How does this affect you and your fellow officers in doing your jobs in such a hostile environment? Um, does this impact you? I mean, it definitely impacts you in terms of what you can or can't do even to defend yourself while you're you're on duty. Um, but um, overall, is um, is the attitude towards officers like yourself uh, positive, negative, coming to work? I mean, is it? Um, have you seen the change over the years? Uh, for the most part, it's it's pretty positive. Uh, a lot of the changes, and like I say, the bias uh, media is the main. The main problem that that's causing is hesitation that you see uh, nationwide. Is officers at a point are within their legal authority to take a certain action, they hesitate, uh, they get injured, suspect gets injured, officer gets killed. Uh, you know, along those lines. Uh, we're lucky in our department, we overtrain. So we train to uh, the bottom line minimum standards, but then we're lucky we have our own in-house training and they provide a lot of training. Uh, we make sure that everybody's updated on uh, the legality of our uses of force and everybody knows when you have the authority to make an arrest, and we haven't we haven't seen much of those uh, uh, the hesitation injuries. 
do your prosecutors on a local level, is their motivation to put poor, um, bad people behind, uh, into jail, behind jail bars, I was going to say, or are they, as they are in many jurisdictions, um, uh, letting people who should be in jail out? I would say for the most part, uh, they do a good job for us. Uh, but like I said, with our new district attorney, they're hamstrung too as to what they can do. When uh, uh, the virus hit, pretty much everything went to zero bail, uh, unless it was some specific felonies and I couldn't name what they were other than you know, the extreme violent crimes. Uh, but our, and I used to work in uh, detective assignments where I had a lot more interaction with prosecutors. And if we brought them a good case, they would certainly press it for us. You know, um, I remember um, where police offices would be invited into schools many times in terms of. Um, to give uh, instruction and education to school kids about dangers of drugs. drugs. Um, but there were other issues that they also would occasionally be invited into classrooms. Do you know right. is that type of stuff still taking place? Um, are, are, are the police uh, engaged in non-police activities um, and interacting with school kids? You know, we used to do a lot of that, um, but our juvenile section has been uh, getting cut uh, over the years and over the summers, uh, defund the police. That was certainly one of the ones that was cut. You know, we had a specifically assigned officer to the D.A.R.E. program that would do that and take the tour of the schools. And uh, we had a little uh, electric remote control car that they would drive around. We had the, uh, the D.A.R.E. Uh, dog, someone, another officer dress up as that and make the rounds doing that. I don't think that program still exists because the juvenile section was uh, where quite a few of the cuts came from. We used to have uh, school resource officers assigned to each high school in our city. And th that program also got cut down to one uh, roving officer for the schools. Um, when that happened, it started to be backfilled in the mornings and afternoons by a regular patrol officer uh, patrolling around the school, uh, handling calls related to the schools and things of that nature, uh, just mostly being visible. Uh, but when that started, the plan was not for us to walk onto campus and interact with the kids or do any of that. It was just be visible on the outskirts of the school and 
handle problems as they arose. So, you know, there's not much interaction going on within the schools anymore that I know of. Do you um, do you feel that the defund the police movement has in fact impacted police department's ability to secure um, their jurisdictions? Has has it had a negative impact? Um, absolutely. You can see. Uh, across the board nationwide that crime is spiking and it's doing the same in our jurisdiction including most of the violent crimes because you don't have especially because of our, our DA of course you don't have the gang enhancements not able to use those anymore or any other enhancements and Frankly, a lot of the crimes are downgraded. If a, a relative or a young person came to you and said, um, I would like to join a police force, would you encourage them? Would you discourage them? Um, uh, what would your reaction be? Uh, yeah, for a second, can we go back to the your last question? Because there was, it was about the defund the police, and I did have something extra to say to, about that. Absolutely. Okay, so what, what we're looking at, and it, it's a, a pretty simple analogy, is you have politicians that are deciding what, what and how police officers should do their jobs, right? So now take that, have the politicians look at the fire department and do that. Have uh, police officers go to the FAA and tell them, you know, we can reduce your crashes. We have some ideas. This is what you are going to do now. Right. It, it, it does not work. No. Uh, to, my, to my knowledge, they... They don't go to police experts. It's been, you know, the, the criminal apologists, I hate saying it, but it's true, get up in arms about uh, a certain incident, and then all of a sudden, politicians and city leaders want to strip us of another tool. If you, if you had your local elected official or higher elected official in a room and they said what can we do what policy can we um enact that would improve the plight of police departments doing their jobs what advice would you give Well, it's, it starts out with our city leaders working with, sitting down with our administration and with our training division and uh, peer officers sitting in. But it's a matter of them taking advice from the people that are doing the job and finding where the compromise is because it seems like that's absolutely not what's happening. 
and there's only so much you can change. You know, there's there's city policies uh, and municipal codes and things like that. Uh, but then all of the penal code comes out of the state, right? So got to have the representatives there that do that. And I think you know we've got uh, statewide organizations that do that. Um, our our associations are involved nationwide as well with fraternal order police, and that helps. But I think it it oftentimes goes in one ear and out the other because it's already been decided for us. Mm -hmm. Would you advise a young person who wanted to join the police force to follow through on on that wish or find another profession to go into? That is an interesting question. And like say up until uh Ferguson incident is when things really started to change and nationally you see more of a negative attitude towards police officers and law enforcement. From there it it's filtered everywhere. A little bit into our city, but like I said, I think our city is for the most part it's it's eighty, ninety percent positive toward us. The other percentages are the criminals that, you know, we chase on a daily basis. On top of that, uh, you got the politicians deciding that we're making too much money and getting too many benefits to do this job without, of course, understanding uh, the day-to-day -day rigors of the job, mental stress, fatigue, injuries like mine that you incur over the length of your career, and they've taken uh, benefits away from us. Officers would have to work longer than even I do. So now the new officers come in, they have a different uh, retirement formula. Um, you have that, you have taken away policies and tools. So back when I started, I would say 100%, uh, come on ride alongs, check it out, do some of the training when you can and see if it's for you. Absolutely. Now in, in what this environment's becoming, and I think it's gonna get worse as you see I'm watching the, the politicians in Washington uh, politicize law enforcement, talking about the uh, January 6th uh, Capitol occupation. And all of a sudden, you know, those law enforcement officers were heroes to them that day. And they're going to turn around and get right back to defunding the police. So to, answer, to basically answer the question, kids come up to me and ask me about that. I would say uh, it's still a great job. You, if you get into it for the reasons I did, protect myself, my family, uh, friends, and victims, then great. Uh, you have to be, I think, even more 
even stronger mentally now than when I got into it. Because as we're seeing, nobody's immune to it. You see, we've seen it in uh, in LA, I think a few other places up and down uh, California and across uh, the nation, officers just getting ambushed for no reason other than they're sitting in a police car wearing a uniform. So it's it's added stress level, and I tell these kids, I don't, I, I'm impressed that you guys can come into this and learn all the new laws that get added every year, learn all our policies, and train to be safe for yourself and your partners to write reports so that they'll get uh, filings and cases. And yeah, so I would say try the fire department. Well, you know, I, I tell you something. Um, I live in New York, and um, one of the disturbing things, and there are many disturbing things these days, is that yeah. you mentioned January 6th um, in the D.C. incident or incidents um, that occurred, is that um, off-duty firemen and policemen um, are now being hounded by, by the local authorities for having participated. Not that they were arrested, not that they were accused of doing anything unlawful, but simply were showing up at the at the event, and um, uh, that to me is very disturbing. It's just one more instance of people's right to speak, people's right to protest, people's right to let their points of view know becomes a um, a legal problem for the person who's trying to uh, exercise their rights. Do you have an opinion on that? I agree 100%. Um, so I, I tell my friends, and I think it's true, I think I voted, I actually voted for Obama's first term. Mm -hmm. Saw how that was going and then it was over. Did not vote for him a second time. And that's when I started paying attention to politics. And you can absolutely see that things are going badly. Uh, there's incredible evidence of corrupt politicians. I say that there's more than enough evidence of election fraud and that corruption. And that's why you've got 75 plus million Trump voters that are frustrated. And that's leading to a cancel culture that you're seeing. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty simple. You can see it on TV. If you watch the other news shows, they say we need to put Trump supporters in re-education camps. And yeah, it's getting scary. It's going extremely far left. You see the number of executive orders Biden signed in his first uh, however many weeks occupying the White House that he's a monarchy. Of course, I think that he's just their puppet. But yeah, that's it. As far as um, the officers, um, 
yeah, the mob mentality has grown so much. We've had officers uh, followed home from work uh, at night. I don't think there've been any incidents, but that's pretty scary in and of itself. If you've got uh, your family and your kids at home and someone's following you home, who knows what their plan is. It's, it's not a good thing to see uh, the politicians and, frankly, the administrators in police departments uh, from whatever level up, captain, lieutenant, and so forth, are absolutely politicians uh, working for the city and, unfortunately, sometimes not in the best interest of their officers. So mm -hmm. that's, I don't, I think that's a, a bad thing to see this happen, that you know, we're not allowed to go to rallies to support uh, the political side that we want to support. Yep. You know, um, you had mentioned uh, 75 million Americans voted the way that uh, the news media didn't want them to vote. <laughs> and yeah. to me, it's amazing that enough information got out that 75 million Americans fully understood what was at stake in this election. But we also, um, I also say to people that uh, the 75 million people are not going anywhere. They are here. And, um, and they, uh, a portion of them, are, are going to continue to fight for this country as we are, and um, and uh, it, it is a very rough patch that we're going through at the moment. But I think it's important that people always remember: seventy-five million people um, uh, uh, are, in a sense, disenfranchised at this point. But Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no problem. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a couple of things. First of all, for me, that number is low. Mm -hmm. And second of all, I'm surprised that the number is that high uh, because I'm a believer. I've, I've seen videos with my own eyes and seen uh, witnesses go into court to testify that they saw voter fraud going on. So if that's a number that the, the fraudsters allowed us to get to 75, it had to be higher than that. And, and I think uh, these politicians know it. And if you think about it, that's probably one of the primary reasons why they have a 10 or 12 foot uh, wall with concertina wire on it surrounding the Capitol. Yeah, and I would say um, looking backwards, although at the time um, I came to the conclusion that I'm about to say, when Facebook, Google, Twitter, and the mainstream media 
uh, a month before the election said that there will be no coverage of any dissent of that was questioning the results of the election was telling mm -hmm. me people wanted to defeat the president. Um, they didn't want any investigations. They didn't want any discussions. They didn't want any transparent counting of the votes. And that's why they shut down as much as they could the, um, the ability to, uh, to report points of view that were different than the bean counters in Pennsylvania. But listen, um, going forward, um, we will continue to secure America now. We will continue to provide platforms for police officers and retired police officers. Is there any uh, thing that comes to your mind that the average American who respects what you folks do for a living um, can do, um, you know, in a sense, you know, I in Queens, New York, <laughs> during the height of the protest, when in fact you had demonstrators in the streets every single day attacking the police, uh, the New York City Police Force, my wife and I uh, joined a group of about 150 people, um, just a local group going to our local uh, police station to demonstrate our support for the police. There were counter-demonstrators um, of less than 10, um, and the police were ordered to disband our demonstration, our rally for the police, and they did it in a very nice way. They got orders from above. But my question to you is, do demonstrations like that, I mean, the police officers after we disbanded were very thankful that we had ever shown up. You know, they just kept hearing bad things about the police everywhere they turned until local people showed up. And um, my question to you is, um, do um, expressions of support, and it doesn't have to be a rally, it could be a thank you to a police officer, it could be delivering to a police station, coffee for everyone, I don't know, um, uh, small acts of appreciation. Um, do they resonate with the police um, uh, as they're doing their jobs? Yeah, well, it absolutely does. Um, and in fact, uh, I'll answer it from the beginning there. You talked about going to the station and rallying in, in support of the police, and that's great. The reason why they would uh, ask you to disband your group is because, as you said, it attracts the opposition group. And when the opposition group comes in, uh, it will start small, you know, with with great, well-meaning people that 
uh, haven't had uh, the good interactions with police and they've just seen the end interactions of arrests and things like that. So they have uh, a single-minded view one way, which is fine, but you find that those are the people that we want to talk to and explain to them what to do, get them to come on a ride along, et cetera, et cetera. And nine times out of 10, that person's going to come around and see that, you know what, there's, these are mostly good people. They are human beings doing a job the best that they can. So, yeah, that's, uh, but that's the reason that they, they would break up uh, your, your support gathering uh, because you get the few of the uh, those people and it attracts the criminal element that yeah. wants to turn into a riot and injure uh, officers, damage buildings, and things of that nature. So that's why they, they would ask you guys to leave. Thank you for coming. We appreciate the support, but uh, yeah, we've got to end this. Um, I'm sitting here looking at. Uh, a card that I on a magnet attached to my refrigerator and it's a drawing made by a kid and it says on the front of it you are amazing and has a police officer badge on it right and I put that up on there uh, because when the riots broke out for us in the beginning of summer you know, we went on tactical alert like everybody else, and it was long days and short nights, and we had groups from all over our city uh, volunteering to bring us supplies. They were bringing goodie bags of stuff. They were ordering pizzas, et cetera, et cetera. So... We feel a lot of support, like I say, in our city, and I see it when I'm driving around. You know, one of the perks of being the old guy is I get to work a lesser uh, crime area with not quite as many calls for service, so I do most of my day driving around and waving at people, getting flagged down by people saying, thank you for what you do, we appreciate you, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I'm one of those guys where when I, when I see the kids out uh, shooting hoops or throwing a football, I'll generally try and stop and talk to them and throw a couple of uh, passes. Great. Uh, look, I really want to not only thank you, but you've given some good advice, interesting insights into the situation um, as far as policing is concerned here in the United States. Like I said, we will continue our program, continue to educate people, give them ideas of things that they can do. And um, I, I thank you for spending the time with us, uh, we will take this interview and we will market it uh, across social media and um, and there will be a 
fair number of people who will who will hear it. And um, uh, I want to thank you for doing what you do, and I want to thank all of the, all all the folks who are working with you, um, because in fact you're the first line of sanity in a society. <laughs> if you are able to do your job. Um, nobody can guarantee the safety of any community in this country. So we thank you, and um, and maybe sometime in the future you'll agree to join us again for an update. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on. I have just one more thing to add that I didn't get to add in the last part. The understanding between police departments, police officers, and the community uh, starts and ends with the interaction. And that's one of the reasons why we have so much support in our city. It's one of the things that our department does really well is the interactions. Do a lot of still the community meetings, uh, all the social media, and question and answer, and and all of that and we're we're taught from day one basically that it's it's not us versus them yes the thin blue line means that at times our partners are the only ones that we can count on if we're in desperate need but it's not or a wall between us and the community that we serve and especially for me, because I live in my city, so. Well, good for you. It's good advice and um, a proper mindset. Um, uh, it's, um, and I hope you need to be successful in your career. And um, again, I just thank you again for giving us um, an excellent interview. Thank you. No problem. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.